Sorry for the delay, Clint. Can I call you Clint? Please do, Bob. Now, tell me. Tell me why you came to our beautiful city, Clint. And no more bullshit. Hmm. Well, Bob, I purchased and restored an eight-bedroom colonial mansion for my home. I know, I know. Why did I move? I... I met someone on my first visit. I fell in love with the person and with the culture. It was, it was kind of a reset for me. Fresh start, you know, that sort of... Oh, sort of. That sounds like you created quite a paradise, Clint. Now, you're too young to just sit around and vegetate. So what were your plans after? It is a paradise. But it wasn't enough. I felt... Empty. Figured it was time to hit the reset button. As you know, the Merida population includes the largest percentile of indigenous peoples in Mexico. Mm. Mayans. Most of whom, they're still struggling to reach even the lowest rung of the ladder their Mexican neighbors rule upon. So... I took it into my head that I would help them in their rise. Though perhaps in an even more practical way than I'd been helped in mine. I'd invested in three additional old colonies, each smaller than my residence, though just a few streets away. And I was in the process of restoring them, combining them into one building, making it a school for Mayan kids. It was... It was a deeply, not surprisingly, satisfying way to spend my time and my money. Giving back. Guards, you can leave the room. Now, they really can't understand very much English, but if I'm going to help you, I don't want any witnesses, all right? Now, I am impressed with your mission, Clint. Now we're talking, Bob. Oh, you have no idea how relieved uh, I am. Let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. I want to hear the rest of your story. Absolutely. I had a paradise, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> now, who's to say what's enough? You look around the cell I was just in, it's all pretty relative. What's plenty for one man is paltry for another. Bob, I had wads of dollars in my pocket, stacks in my safe, and rows and rows of numbers on my balance sheet. When it came to thrills, I was poverty-stricken. How in the hell did you meet Alvaro? About three months after my move to Mexico, in the early spring of 08, I volunteered as a worker for the Yucatan elections. Those few months of volunteer work consisted mostly of answering phones in various campaign headquarters, posting yard signs where they were permitted and sometimes where they were not permitted, approaching resident area business people with a fundraising pitch on behalf of one of the local power brokers and decision makers. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, but how did you meet Alvaro? How did that work with your hitting the reset button? I'm getting to that, Bob. You can call me a people person. Even from the time I was a kid, I could always pick out the ones who'd be most beneficial to know. Worked my ass off for the local Pauls. And by the time the elections were over, I had myself a whole new group of friends. Oh, I would agree. You're a people person, Clint. You're also very persuasive. <laughs> Am I guessing that your new group of friends were politicians? How did you meet Alvaro? A couple of them were politicians, yeah. 
Politics is an inherently dirty business. And the pollution among the Mexican political class is, as I'm sure you know, deservedly legendary. Yeah. I figured someone in that crowd could get me into a little bit of much-needed trouble. My trouble came with a name. Alvaro. <laughs> you changed my life forever. You did find trouble. You must have a death wish. When Alvaro handed me your file, <laughs> he said... If you want to keep your family safe, I advise you keep Clint Kennedy under lock and key. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that sounds like him. <laughs> I met Alvaro, met him formally, at the victory party for the candidate in Meredith's third district. Alvaro was a solid six feet tall, body of lean muscle and a head of wavy, thick black hair. Yeah, well, he is a handsome man. <laughs> He's also a respected bullfighter. Uh, mostly because of his brother and his father, in my opinion. He's an arrogant asshole. He's like the STDs of drug lords. <laughs> now, you better start leveling with me if I'm going to help you, Clint. Whatever's going on with you two, it must be serious. I've, I've had four missed phone calls and two voicemails from him in the last hour. Well, ever since I first laid eyes on him, I was certain he wasn't a politician. He seemed too lithe, too graceful to be in such a business as politics. Periodically, he'd throw an arm around the smaller but still exceptionally beautiful young man at his side. The way he looked down at his companion, the smile he gave him, made me wonder if they were lovers. I don't know anything about his personal life. Since you know more about that kind of lifestyle, I'm just going to have to agree with you, Clint. Hmm. By these Spanish men, they... They have hot blood. It's not unusual for them to have a wife, a mistress, and a boyfriend. And I don't give a rat's ass what they do as long as they don't try anything with me. <laughs> I, I don't think you have anything to worry about there, Bob. <laughs> Both of them had a circle of spectators who'd gathered around. A crowd who, who looked up at Alvaro less as just another guest at a victory party, but as if they were his fans. There were a few people among the crowd who looked just a little bit too alert to be simply guests. Now, they looked like Secret Service guys, if Secret Service guys routinely dressed in Irish linen guy bears. A woman I volunteered with, she saw me watching the two. Do you know who that is? What was that? You think you recognize him, don't you? He's Alvaro Moreno, the bullfighter. Not as well known as his brother Oscar, but... Alvaro's the one who stabbed and killed the Intimidator. The guy's a rock star. He's the one you are trying to beat in the race, right? The one you do not want to lose the election to. And everything a bullfighter does, every move he makes, is to do one of three things, right? Distract his opponent. So the opponent is confused and can't fight back. To anger his opponent... So the opponent makes a stupid mistake. Or to cause injury to his opponent. So the spectators will see the bullfighter is strong and his opponent. This massive animal is weak. Of course he didn't need to twist to the side as if to dodge an attack. His hands holding an imaginary cape to keep his audience captive. No, that flourish at the end was all for showmanship. But when he had twisted, he'd ended up directly in front of me. I extended a hand to him. I'm Clint Kennedy. I'm new to the area. 
Move to the area. Who would have guessed that, huh? White skin, blue eyes, and blonde hair? Not much of that in our city. Doesn't seem like, anyways. I've never actually been to a bullfight. I'd love to see you in the ring sometime. You would? He grabbed the beautiful man who'd been standing near to him and kissed him rather hard on the neck. Then what do you say, Javier? I fight again in, what is it, two weeks? Should we invite this Mr. Clint Kennedy to be our guest? I think Mr. Clint Kennedy would like that very much. Then that's what we will do. Pleased to meet you, Clint. Call me Alvaro. And this is Javier, my brother-in-law. His brother-in-law? I thought as I began to loosen my hand from Alvaro's grip in order to shake hands with Javier. Well, this relationship might be a little bit more complicated than I'd assumed. But I didn't get to either finish that thought or offer Javier my hand. Alvaro kept his fist tight over mine and yanked me toward him to whisper into my ear. I know who you are, Mr. Clint. You got arrested for running an illegal business in Miami. If you're thinking of using your bullfighting three points on me, I'll tell you right now it's not going to work. Settle down, Mr. Clint. No need to get angry. We just met. Oh, I'm not angry. You were just implying that you knew something about me as if I needed to be careful. I don't exactly respond favorably to threats, not from you or anyone else. I'm not implying anything. Well, maybe... I admired how you fought the charges for your illegal business and in the end escaped with just a small fine. I want to be friends with you. It wasn't a small fine, Alvaro. Not to me, definitely not at the time. It was a big chunk of the money that I'd set aside to create a new life for myself here in Mexico. For the proposition I have for you, it will look like a small fine. You are at a place, Mr. Clint, where you have a gambler's curse. The inability to stop playing when you've lost a hand. Even if overall you're still a big winner. I've been there, done that. Hmm. Well, your proposition certainly sounds interesting. I'm all ears. I know about your illegal business in Miami. We've never met, but I know several of your employees... Well, you were one of my top clients. Though you're right, we never did actually meet, and I never knew your name until now. I... I did know a bit about you through the boys who worked for me. Giddy reports the next day from one young man or other about their tall, handsome customer. You like to party. You're gentle in bed. Apparently, you have unlimited funds, and you aren't exactly shy about throwing around your American dollars. I didn't think you knew that much about me. Good to finally meet. You did have some sweet boys. <laughs> I'm getting embarrassed. You know, I've seen you at my gym, too. <laughs> I thought you might be stalking me. I asked my trainer about you. And what did Mimo say? Huh? Hope it was all good. Handsome, fit, rich, successful bullfighter. Something like that. He said you were famous. Famous for bullfighting. 
You own several businesses in the area. You're a big donor to the local Pauls. I mean, no one's going to say out loud where his campaign funds are coming from. Funds go away if the funder goes to jail, right? Must admit, it piqued my interest. What I would like to know is who you paid off to get away with such a small fine. Oh, Alvaro, paying people off is how business is done in the real world. I'm happy to compensate someone if it means getting what I want. Pretty obvious, you know that. You are a smart guy, Clint. Maybe I, I'm thinking we can uh, do some business together. Are you interested? I might be. Need to find out what you're offering. <laughs> Definitely not getting back into the escort business. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. It's getting a little noisy in here. Why don't we go across the street to the cafe and talk a little further? Didn't you want to speak to the municipal president? Standing around, waiting for a politician to shake your hand and nod at your requests for people who don't have the right telephone numbers in their cell phones. Here, come this way. Tell me, what are your thoughts about drugs? Drugs, huh? <laughs> well, I've always been a free market kind of guy. Let the laws of supply and demand set prices free from government regulation. It doesn't matter that if people didn't demand drugs, you drug lords would be out of business fast enough. That they are merely servicing a broad market niche. No, the minute you mention drugs, <laughs> all of a sudden you've grabbed hold of this third rail. You've swatted the sacred cow on the ass. <laughs> I like your thinking. We are much alike. <laughs> people say drugs harm people's health, or drugs kill people, or drugs cause people to, to, to get into fights and act cranky and uh, commit crimes and hang out with the wrong sorts of friends and go bankrupt and cause the downfall of civilization. It's bullshit. Agree, my friend. As if. As if drugs were the only product on the market that weren't any good for you, or drug dealers were the only businessmen peddling goods with potential downsides, profiting from someone else's misery. <laughs> that being said, I'm not interested in selling or transporting any drugs. No worries, Clint. There will be no drug business. I got more important things for you, my friend. Javier! Stop the traffic for Clint and I to cross. So nice to see you again, Senor Alvaro. My place is always available to you. It's a little cash for the family. Now get us a table or we can talk about business. I got a new friend here with me. Muchas gracias. Javier, you and Carlos watch the front door. I don't want any trouble. Clint, how about we sit together? I got a big problem that I think you can solve for me. We took our seats, Alvaro placing his hands on the table right into a puddle of stale beer that the waiter hadn't yet wiped away. He made a face, and he raised his hands for a napkin. Javier, three of his security guys, and the cafe owner all scurried as one at his scowl. I took the seat next to him. <clears throat> as I told you before, I might be interested. You tell me what it is, and I'll tell you if I can help. The problem, Mr. Clint, is not a lack of money, no. The problem is what to do with all of it that I have. Apparently that was as direct as Alvaro was willing to be at the table. 
I nodded in reply as if I had completely understood his difficulty. What I didn't understand, of course, was exactly how much money was involved. <laughs> you know, 50000 is a lot to some people, and I wasn't keen to be wasting my time for peanuts. Now I'm looking at pimping myself for money. It's money I don't even really need. On the other hand, this little dance Alvaro was doing did have an element of flattery to it. Now I'd been chosen, and curiosity, if not ego, demanded that I find out for what. Alvaro was an exceptionally attractive man, but I sincerely hoped his purpose wasn't just to bed me, though if, if sex was part of a larger offer, well, I guess we'd see. I'd made the decision nearly six months before to enter into a period of celibacy. I was heartsick. What seemed like the love of my life had been killed. So senseless. But when you live in a lawless country, you know, you run an escort service and random sex just loses a big chunk of its appeal. You can't exactly walk that edge for very long. My currently monkish lifestyle wasn't one I'd ever really considered permanent. Anyway, most business deals require sacrifices of some sort of principle, large or small. I figured I'd bide my time, see what else Alvaro was putting on the table. The food and tequila had been exceptional, so I was patient. When our plates were empty and our glasses drained, Alvaro leaned back in his chair and wiped his mouth delicately with one of the stack of napkins that had been provided earlier in response to the spilled beer. He smiled at Javier to his right and clamped his left hand tightly onto my thigh under the table. His fingers were like a vice on that tender spot just above the knee and I tried not to wince under his grip. I think it would be better to show you my predicament than only to tell you about it. Javier, get the car. Can't you come with me? I will show you my problem. We rode in Alvaro's black bulletproof Hummer, the driver taking the three-lane Paseo de Monteo at just over the speed limit, pressing on the pedal with less and less reserve as the road narrowed to two lanes out of Central Merida. Another vehicle followed us with the rest of Alvaro's men. I watched the headlights in the second car of the Hummer's rearview mirror. The danger of driving through the night with a drug lord and his henchmen gave me that sort of buzz I hadn't felt in far too long a time. About ten miles outside of Merida, our driver turned right onto a narrower paved road and drove us another quarter mile to what I can only describe as a modern fortress. We drove through a double-arched limestone entryway, the wrought iron gate swinging open seamlessly on electric power, and the guns the half-dozen guards inside carried on their backs were the very latest in killing technology. Four men in the car behind us jumped out when it had cleared the gate, but our driver kept us moving deeper and deeper into the compound. The last hundred yards, the Hacienda Alvaro called home. Alvaro's men, the driver, and the somber shotgunner all peeled off with Javier towards one of the bright interior rooms, and Alvaro's arm went around my neck. Not bad, huh? Right this way. Follow me. Even before the room was illuminated, I could smell the musty odor of old paper money. It was large, maybe 30 feet by 20. 
a guest room, if you were to judge from the only piece of furniture in it, but stacked from floor to ceiling on the bed and, assuming from the density of it, under the bed, were piles of money. American money. Not new, but soft and infused with the scent of commerce. Sorted out by face value, twenties, fifties, hundreds, all carefully packaged with rubber bands. This is my problem. The total is 20 million, no more, no less. Have you ever seen anything like it, my friend? I didn't reply immediately. I needed a minute to take it all in. Yes, yes, I, um, I have. <laughs> my, my best friend owns a bank. Well, his, his family own, owns a bank, a, a string of banks, eight, maybe more. His father took us into the vault when we were kids. An object lesson on what we could accomplish in life if we worked hard enough, or what I could accomplish, I guess. Jack was always going to inherit the bank, but... That would be your friend Jack Cohen. And his father, David, he's the banker. That would be Jack. I wondered just how far back Alvaro's research went. Wow, that is quite a story. It is, <laughs> and there's still more to it. I see you got my phone there. You let me have it for just a minute. I can prove to you I didn't steal a thing from Alvaro. No, we can listen to it. I don't know if it's going to change my mind and convince me to let you go. That is the judge's decision. He should be back this afternoon. Of course, he has six other hearings ahead of you of other people claiming their innocence. But here, take your phone, play the recording. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Jesus. I've got 14 missed calls and six voicemails. You just get on with the recording. I'm not going to sit here and watch I, you play with I'm the phone. I'm finding the part where he mentions how much he's going to pay. All right. Yeah. I want to move my money out of my country and to do it quickly before so much more accumulates. Huh. My wife, you see, she's given me just this one room and she begrudges me even this space. You see, she wants another guest room to make this room comfortable for when our parents come to visit. You, you, you have a wife? I, I... I'll introduce you to her sometime, but what I want to know is, can you give my money to the U.S. and into a bank there safely? Huh? If you can, and if you will, I'll give you 20% right off the top. Is this something you'd like to be involved with? Well, that just sounds like a contract to me. It does. 20 million, and you got four of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess he must have had buyer's remorse. The judge will probably let you go. You might have to give him some money, of course. It's all about having the right connections, Bob. Alvaro, he knew I had the contacts. I was somebody who could get things done. Once I met his needs, he thought he could bully me into returning the money to him. He couldn't. So we got ourselves a deal, Bob? No. No, no. We'll leave it to the judge. <laughs> he might want some of your money. <laughs> Four million, that's a shit ton of money. <laughs> what, what, do, do you want more money? No, no, I... 
After listening to your recording and hearing your story, <laughs> I'm going to stay away from you. Yeah, too. you're going to stay away. Yeah, from this you. is too dangerous. It's someone is going to wind up dead. Bob, no one's going to wind now, up my dead. My life is not about money. <laughs> oh, yeah, really? You know, I know that's yeah, probably that's hard some for bullshit. someone like you to understand something like that. You, Guards, no. Guards, take Mr. Kennedy out of my office and back to his cell. Don't fucking touch me, Bob. You know this is a mistake. It's Alvaro Moreno, for Christ's sake, Bob, don't let... Get him out of here. Bob! Hi, this is Joe Calderwood. I hope you enjoyed listening to episode two. The Stained Fortune podcast was produced by myself, Joe Calderwood, and Jeff Messer. Casting by Charlie Wilson. Performances by Haven Kai, Alan Chandler, Jeff Messer, and Elisa Freed.